I'm Jen Schrader, and this is Behind the Springs, conversations with the people working for you in Colorado Springs, Olympic City, USA. When you think of the Colorado Springs Fire Department responding to a call, you probably imagine the sirens and the big fire truck showing up and maybe even more than one fire truck showing up. Um, an ambulance, but that isn't always the case anymore. There are new community medical response units known as CMED designed to make a big difference in our whole community. And I'm really happy to welcome Colorado Springs Fire Deputy Chief Jamie McConnellog to tell us more about it um, and tell us a little about herself. Jamie, thanks for being here. Oh, Jen, thank you so much. So whenever I get an opportunity to talk about all the great work the fire department's doing, I'm just so excited. So thanks for the opportunity. Yes, we're happy to have you. So I know your least favorite thing is to talk about yourself, (laughs) but I make people do that here. So um, you have kind of a unique story. Um, Started at the Colorado Springs Fire Department just a few years ago. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about how your career got started and how you came to be in your role now. Okay, well, great. Um, so, yes, 24 years ago, okay. um, I was a younger <laughs> single mom. So I was 32 years when I came on. Um, okay. I was hired in 1998. And what, I can, what, dis- what made you decide to join? Well, I was a single mom. Okay. So three little boys and really just trying to find a sense of security and benefits and family, some of those things. I knew nothing about the fire service or medical response. I had a really good friend that was a police officer who said to me, you need to test for the fire department. You're perfect for it. Hmm. And at that time, I could not understand what that meant, but I absolutely do now. So um, that's where it all began for me. Um, I obviously started as a firefighter and then promoted to paramedic and then lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, where I was a battalion chief in operations. And then for the last four years, Um, I served in our medical division and community public health division, and then this last year as deputy chief of operations. Right, and first female deputy chief, I might add. Yes. Which is nice. What do you think about being the first in that role? Well, it's kind of exciting. It's amazing. You know, I think part of my problem is, is I don't pause long enough to really think about what's happened. So even in just preparing to come and talk to you and think about this, like you said, the one thing I don't like the most is talking about myself. So forcing myself to think about this and lay it out, I'm like, wow, like that's, it is, it is really a lot of steps that I've taken within the department and the opportunity's been tremendous. So I'm proud to serve in this capacity um, and I'm even more proud to, to serve as a female. Right. That's really exciting. And uh, tell us about your uh, female firefighters. Do you, ha- do you know percentages or how Well, our numbers are lower than okay. they've been since I came on. Okay. So we're in the mid-teens right now. So if you're out there listening and yes, thinking about it, yes, we it's need, a great We career. need more. So um, we, we have a female firefighter in our academy of 30 right now okay. as well. So excited about that. And um, we're bringing more females on. I think we had... Um, a fair amount of females that retired all, you know, together in close proximity. So, you know, it, it takes time to do that recruitment and to get, um, to get females and minorities interested in this job. Because when I think back to when, you know, I was younger, had I started in my 20s and not 30s, there, there just weren't women doing this job, you know, so I didn't, I didn't see it. You know, so now it's important that they can see it. And that's the important piece of recruitment so that they know that it's attainable. The reality is this job isn't for everybody, whether you're male, female, black, white, Hispanic, doesn't matter. Like it's not for everyone. So it's 
definitely a specific character and skill set that we're looking for for the fire department. But that is why we point out you are the first female because we want people to to see it, to celebrate it, and it, and then it's modeled so that young women can see this as an option and a really great option. So, um, yeah, so talk about um, your deputy chief role because there is more than one deputy chief in the fire department, and I think sometimes people get confused about who does what. Right, so two deputy chiefs. So me as deputy chief of operations and then uh, Chief Steve Dubay, who is our deputy chief of support services. Okay. So operations, if you think about it, I'm responsible for all the 911 emergency response. So the 485 firefighters, you know, that respond out the door out of 23 fire stations um, and everything tied to that response. Everybody that goes on Big Red and heads out the door. Chief DeBay is responsible for support services, so it's providing those apparatus, you know, and taking care of them and our human resources division and our training division and, you know, the support so that we can respond to the calls. Okay, and so that's why you're here today talking about that 911 response and, and how it's changing. So tell us a little about um, these new medical response units and, and what they are. Okay, so I'm super excited to talk about this. This We have been working on this for the past five years. So wow. we stood up a tiered response committee five years ago to start um, looking at alternative ways to respond to 911 calls in our community. And what, and, what would you say prompted it? Um, so that's our community public health division. So okay. back in 2012, our community public health division stood up. And that division is our innovative branch of the fire department. It's something that, you know, our community, I don't believe, knows a tremendous amount about, but they're so involved. And so um, in 2012, it was just kind of an idea of, you know, call volumes going up. And then we identified call volume was going up for specific individuals so that we call super utilizers we also call our most loyal customers so really Mm -hmm. that's what drove the interest in they're obviously not getting the services that they need if they have to keep calling 911 over and over and over and over again or going to the emergency department over and over and over again so um, our medical directors at the time and the two individuals that we had for our community and public health division, which wasn't even a division back then, just really hopped on a rig and went to those people and tried to learn what their needs were. That was the start of our CARES program. Um, A lot of times our community and public health division gets tied synonymously to CARES. So CARES is our super utilizer program. So that's our community access referral and education. Um, That's our oldest program that started in community and public health. And um, it was born from trying to understand what the needs of our community are that are accessing 911. Yeah, and I've heard of CARES and, and done coverage on CARES for the city. And so I was feeling a little bit like, how is this different? And what was that built off of CARES or how, did, how does that all connect? Well, it's, um, like I said, CARES mm. was kind of the first program that came out of community and public health. Okay. Another program that you may or may not have heard of is our CRT. Yes, we've response. had them on. Oh, yes. awesome. Fantastic. So yes. they're, they're amazing. So in 2014, we stood up our first unit with that. And born from the same concept in that division is trying to understand a need. You know, so that um, that's our high acuity behavioral health. We have four units, and it's a collaboration with CSPD, where they provide a law enforcement officer, and Diversus Health, previously Aspen Point, that provides a behavioral health specialist, along with our paramedic from the fire department. So we're trying to cover all needs, you know, that are present for the um, high acuity behavioral health calls. So know. if you're having that 
behavioral health issue, you're getting the help you need instead of just you, a nine one a typical nine one exactly. Response. So you're yeah. getting that specialized response, right? And that unit has the ability to. Well, let me let me go back for a minute. So. The success of that unit is that they virtually stopped the admittance into the emergency department, like stopped that one lane of travel from calling 911 to going to the emergency department because they weren't they were not getting their needs met there. So with um, the specialized care on those units, they're able to de-escalate patients that are in crisis, and 60% of them were able to leave on scene in a safe manner. And the others were able to direct admit into psychiatric care facilities that they need without having to go that route through the emergency department. So huge. Which helps everyone. Which helps everyone. Absolutely. And then we're able to return our police and fire resources back to be ready for, you know, the next call or the next important call that comes in. And people might be listening and saying, I don't have a behavioral health um, emergency. How does this all affect me? Or I don't have it. It all affects you because you may have the next big emergency. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's all the work that we're doing is to try to make sure we get the right resource to the right call so that, you know, our firefighters, fire engines, fire trucks, police officers, they're available for the true emergencies. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, like the structure fires and the cardiac arrests and and things like the that. things that are really dependent on response times yes, or positive outcomes, right? Right. Yes. yes. Okay. So, um, so then, when did all of this kind of come to play? Uh, you said five years ago it, the idea was sparked, right? And so we started meeting on a monthly basis just to analyze what the needs are with our community, and also at the a similar point in time we were able to secure funding from Colorado Springs Health Foundation and Colorado Health Foundation to run two pilot CMED programs for six months um, at two different times so they happened a year apart and each time we did those six-month pilots we learned more we learned more about the specific calls we learned about the time of day day of week um, our medical directors looked at the medical determinants so when someone calls 911 um, a call taker answers, right? And then they start working through a call taking process until they get to the very end of their questions and they place a medical determinant to that. And those medical determinants start with a one with abdominal pain and go to 31, which is an unconscious person. And then they're also within those um, call determinants, they're labeled as alpha through echo. And alpha is the lowest acuity. You'll hear me say low acuity a lot and high acuity a lot. And echo is the highest acuity. So think of low acuity um, could be like, for example, um, uh, non-traumatic and not recent back pain. For example, you have a backache. We get called to that. We get called to toothaches. We get called to wow, things okay. of that nature that are really low acuity. Right. Um, and then we get called to the cardiac arrests, which are the echo calls or the you know person having extreme difficulty breathing, things of that, multi-systems trauma, things, things like that that are high acuity. So to give some reference points to what that looks like too. And um, so the, the analysis of the data, the medical directors also helping us figure this out are critically important. And I just want to take an opportunity <laughs> to give our shout out to our dispatch center. I was just going to hard call takers. Just you describing that oh, is see, and stressful. I, can't, I get goosebumps. I mean, because they have a hard job and they are unsung heroes. And they just do tremendous work and they are fantastic partners. And we couldn't be doing what we're doing today, trying to figure out this best response to our community without their participation in it. So I just, I needed to shout out to them because I'm just so honored and privileged to work with them closely too. Oh, that's smart. And I would imagine if they were here to speak, they would be able to say, 
this helps them so much, right? To be right. able to have different options to dispatch, to send, so that the person gets the right care. Right, right. Because they sit in that helpless seat too, right? Where they're just listening to what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, and they want to provide the best service as well. So I think that they are very excited and motivated about this as well. So fast forward to today. So we had those two pilots and we learned a tremendous amount. We've always known moving through this five-year process that that was going to be a need and just figuring out how to implement and and having that opportunity today. So um, we have four four CMED units that have stood up. We stood up our final one um, yesterday. And so they run seven days a week and have offsetting schedules. So on three days of our seven-day week, we've got three units that are up and two on the other days. And they start um, staggered from eight in the morning and run until seven at night. So the schedules just reflect the data. So we're trying to make the biggest impact that we can with the number of units that we have right now. And then continue to capture data and understand um, what the need is past these four units. What are you seeing so far? good results. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. So we, we had to be very strategic about how we're operating them and start small. I always share with our department the example of a bullseye, you know, and that we pretty much know what the center of our bullseye looks like, but we're at the outer ring and we have to figure out how to keep moving toward the center of our bullseye. So we're, we're a little past the outer ring because, you know, we had that opportunity to pilot these programs out of community and public health. Which is so smart. Right. Right. So in analyzing the data, we have those four units running Um, during the days of the week and hours that I mentioned, in battalions one and two. We have four battalions in the city. So battalion one is our downtown area. Mm -hmm. Battalion two is our southeast area. And battalions three and four are northwest and northeast. And so it was driven by call volume and where the highest number of those calls were occurring. And so we were able, with through medical direction, they pulled out the determinants determinants that were appropriate for a CMED response. So let me pause there for a second and explain what a CMED response is because it's different from our fire response. So for these units, we have hired civilian paramedics and EMTs. And the reason that we've done So these are not firefighters, right? Okay. They are not firefighters. They are specialized, skilled medical providers. Okay. These types of call determinants don't need the additional firefighting training and the cost that comes with that, to be quite honest, you know, because that, that's an important piece to it, too. And I said before, get the biggest bang for our community. That's really important to us. So we've got um, civilian staff that's, that's operating those units. They are, right now, they've only been um, running since March 1st. And they're taking, on average, six to eight calls a day during their 10-hour shift. And they're taking them into battalions one and two. And then as we learn more through the data and understand if we need additional units and how to expand that more broadly, you know, across the rest of the city and throughout, you know, the goal is to try to get to a 24-7, you know, 365. Right? I was yep. just going to ask. Yeah. The goal is expansion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the city, right? Well, and it's, it's, it's bigger than that, too. So this is just one aspect of tiered response. So we also have vision and desire um, to think about response differently where it doesn't necessarily mean a physical response. It doesn't mean that you call 911 and someone comes to you. We have a desire to implement nurse navigation in our dispatch center. So call determinants could go to a nurse navigator and then they could be the ones making the, you know, the contact with the calling party to determine what their needs are. If they need telehealth, if they need, yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. Right. Yeah. So as we 
make those additional advancements in tiered response, then we're potentially able to shift these CMED units even into higher acuity calls. So it's all tiered. Oh, I right? see. Right. Along with the collaboration with our ambulance provider, AMR, too. It's, it's learning how to leverage their services as well, you know, within the system. The reason um, for CMED also, as we mentioned, is to make um, the fire units available for the higher acuity calls, but our ambulances are a finite resource as well. And so we've had one model of response that's been, hello, uh, 911, what's your emergency? And as soon as it's determined medical in nature, that call is sent, was sent previously to, um, to the fire station that was appropriate and to an ambulance provider and out they went lights and sirens no matter what code three no matter what that was that was our model and that model developed at a time that the data and research was showing that that's the way that we should do it that's that's not where we're at anymore and the reality is is that you know that model is a dangerous model because as we've already been talking about we're going to a lot of calls that don't require lights and sirens. They don't require responding above the speed limit. And I was we, just going to say, so that puts everyone at risk. Exactly. Right. So it puts the community at risk. It puts our firefighters at risk, our you know, ambulance providers at risk, too. And it's just not, it's not what the future looks like. Right. And then it's not what's right for the patient. Yeah, absolutely. So I, it makes me say to myself, is every city in America doing this? And probably the answer is no. Um, but they should be, right? I mean, it's one of those things that we're trying to move to. Are we a pioneer in this? Are we one of the first? Or, or um, you know, I, are other people coming to us, I would assume, and saying? I, I anticipate that to start. Yes. We have absolutely had that experience with community and public health with our CARES program. That's what I, I know. And our CRT units. Yeah. We've had. You've you been know, a model. Oh, for, boy. We've had visits from all across the nation, outside our country. And the really cool thing about that is that when they come and visit and ride and learn, they take what they learn back to their community and they adapt it to what fits their community. And that's what we're doing as well. So we had an opportunity a couple years ago to go out to Orlando where they've got a tiered response model that, that they're utilizing out there, but different from ours because it's all different. Like they, they have fire-based EMS, meaning they provide their own transport okay. to the fire department. We have a contracted ambulance provider, so it's different. So they're set but up But the learning is, is still tremendous, right. right? Like we go and we learn and we come back and we adapt it to our community and what our needs are. Well, we sure are lucky to have people you know, like you and like all these other folks who've been working on it for years and years who are constantly saying, how do we evolve? How do we innovate? Um, how do we adapt? Right. And, and you know, we're, we're limited in how we do things. Like the growth of our community, um, geographically speaking, through annexation, and then also population-based. You know, our call volume is doing nothing but going up and up and up. And we're seeing it within the pockets of the city where we've got great coverage with our fire stations, but the call volume is exceeding that capacity. So our ability to affect this with these CMED units is delaying when we have the need to think about infill stations. So the stations in between our fire stations that have been established for a long time, right? It delays that cost and those costs are really high, you know, $7 million to build a new fire station and $1.4 million annually to staff it with people. With I don't these, think people realize those are the numbers. No, and yeah. when I say these four units were able to stand up for around $300,000 for, you know, our capital expense, meaning, you know, equipment and such, and then $500,000 to staff them, 
Like it, it just makes sense. It just makes good sense. Again, and that's that's a benefit to our community and our taxpayers. Right. It's the responsible way to do it. Right. So what's the I guess what's your goal, immediate goals for the program moving forward? To expand what's the hope? It. <laughs> yeah. Right now. We're just so excited. <laughs> to triple it right this second. Well, no. Right. We've yeah. talked about it for so long, yeah. you know, that we had a tremendously strong inclination that this was gonna work and it was gonna work well. And so and we're seeing it right away. Um, instantaneously so um, we're just excited so it's funding about obviously funding. yes it's yep. funding right um, and it's also learning how to as I mentioned a little bit earlier best leverage you know our contracted ambulance provider to see how they can assist with this too so we're, we're trying to figure out just a lot of things for our community but an exciting time. Oh, it's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. I really wish you is. were enthusiastic about it. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I can tell you are passionate. And I, and I know you have a lot of folks working with you who are too, which is, makes all the difference. Oh, we are. The whole department is so excited about this. You yeah. know, the firefighters are, because if you think about it, they go to these calls and they can't really help in a way that's meaningful because yeah. we have that model where they arrive and show up and, Either you're going to the emergency department or you're not. And that's not a our good feeling units, to not be able to help. Right. Yeah. Our CMED units and um, our providers on those units are specially trained by our medical directors to arrive on scene and to understand the need. No ambulance gets sent with these units. They go alone. And then they do an assessment. And then they navigate and they determine needs. And they request an ambulance, whether it's ALS, advanced life support with a paramedic and ENT, or a BLS unit basic life support, which has two AMTs, which m almost always that's, that's their request. So if they can determine that once they get on scene. Yes. Okay. Yes. And they're, they're spending the time that the citizen needs to learn about other ways to have their needs met outside of 911. Like, look, there's no judgment for people's utilization of 911, but it went into effect in the 60s and there was a, a big push and a lot of work to get people to use it and boy oh boy they're using it well. Right. <laughs> right. So it's also an opportunity for us to educate to the public as well. What's Can you speak about impact on response times at all at this point or is it too early? Well um, we're changing our response times um, and looking at that differently too. Like I mentioned, lights and sirens, right? We're not going code three to everything. We had one blanket response time resolution for our department for all calls that came in through 911, eight minutes, you know, to re um, receive and arrive. And this is different. Like these, these calls are different. And so we've got, um, these calls are pulled from the active calls when they come in and put in a pending screen. And they sit in the pending screen, and the CMED units monitor it, and they pull the calls. Well, After see. they've sat there for 20 minutes, then they're kicked out, and they go to one of our fire engines or fire trucks because we don't want them to sit there you know, endlessly while we're trying to figure out what this appropriate time response really looks like. Okay. So, so yeah, so some people could be waiting up to 20 minutes right. for a response from the fire But like department. you said, it's a lower acuity. It's low acuity. Okay. And, and we look at every call that they're responding to. And make sure we don't we don't want to have any missteps. Right. Okay. Well, this is great. This is exciting. And um, before I let you go, any other exciting news that you can share from the fire department or anything else people need to know other than um, be firewise, which I know you guys like to say a lot, and it's very important. Yes, absolutely. So. Um, coming into the summer. I, so. oh, I know, right? And I'm walking in here and it's very high winds today. And, yep. you know, you think very high winds and, you know, that is our greatest threat to our community, right, with regard to wildland fires. So um, 
were super excited about our opportunities with wildfire mitigation. Um, they, the, our team has been doing amazing work, work in our community for quite a number of years. But with the recent um, passing of TABOR and additional mitigation funding that's happening, like we're, again, very excited about this. Our mitigation team falls under, you know, our division of the fire marshal, um, and they're working diligently to try to get every piece in place, right? The, it's it's the interesting thing when good things happen. Good things happen create a lot of work, right? You know, which is all good, but right. you know, it just it takes time to get it all figured out. Um, but what I do know about the mitigation team is that they're performing the work proactively to negate what the risks are ahead of time with regard to wildfire and destruction to home and property and potentially life. You know, so um, that. That work is overwhelming for our community. That work as a deputy chief of operations is so important because it speaks to the safety of our firefighters when that work has done it ahead of time. It speaks to our ability to impact an emergency much more quickly and put an end to it um, as opposed to not having that work in place. So I am a huge fan of wildfire mitigation. I know this community is going to see a lot more information come out about that as they continue to develop what that program looks like. I was going to mention that we have been at the city and fire department have been promoting the coswildfireready.org website, which is really wonderful. They update it constantly. It's got great mitigation tools, just a lot of good information, especially if you live in the wildland interface, like if you live in those areas that you know you're at risk, or if you're not sure if you're at risk. You just got here and you're not sure what area you live in and how high risk you are. You may be surprised to learn that you are high risk and there are some things you can do around your property um, that would help us out going into these warmer months, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, Colorado, and just the regular website too, I should mention, coloradosprings.gov slash fire has got some great information and a great place to stay up on what are burn restrictions and you know what's the latest and greatest. So that's a good starting point as well for people. Absolutely. Anything else that I forgot to drill you on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Again, just a thank you for the opportunity. As you can hear, I'm super excited about what the potential for our fire department and our community looks like. Um, I'm just really proud of the work that all of our folks in the fire department are doing. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. It's amazing. Well, thank you from a leadership standpoint, too, for all you're doing um, and for your time today. So we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, rate this podcast if you liked it. Only rate it if you liked it. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> and subscribe if you can. And we just want to thank you so much for listening, for caring about the city, for caring about our public safety um, officers. And it is a big priority for us. And so we're always happy to, to educate and to keep up on the latest. So thanks for listening again, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Springs.